Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Hello, and how's it going? Thank you so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hammerich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter, and it's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agriculture. This show is a proud part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network, so if you like ag podcasts and blogs and vlogs and that good stuff, head over to farmruralag.com and check out some other good ones over there. I'm loving this series on accelerating ag tech. When I first started this podcast, I think this is what I had in mind. Early stage startups and the ecosystem, the resources, the um, trials and tribulations of growing a company in this industry and, and bringing new ideas to the market. I'm loving it. I, I hope I really hope that that you are as well. And if you've been tuning in, especially to the follow up Friday episodes, you know that we are profiling not only the startups themselves, but also the accelerators that help have helped make them successful. So as I've been talking to these startups, I've asked them about. Uh, usually, I ask the question about what accelerators were you part of, and what other resources did you tap into, and. Um, I was pleased via Mobius, actually, if you remember that episode, uh, to be connected to Pete Nelson. And uh, Pete and uh, his program, Ag Launch, has come up before. In fact, you'll recognize several of their portfolio members as as even being guests on the show before accelerating ag tech. So um, his presence has been felt before I even knew what Ag Launch was. And uh, I was lucky enough to have an introductory call with Pete uh, as an introduction from Mobius and was so blown away by his very clear vision for what was currently going on in ag tech and how we could build this ag tech ecosystem to be more effective so that companies could uh, actually grow to more widespread customer adoption. So loved his comments so much that I said, you know what? We don't need to do a five-minute episode about this. We need to do a full interview about this. And so I brought Pete onto the show. So I think you're going to enjoy this. This is a good sort of mid-series check-in on the state of the ag tech accelerator ecosystem and just the ag tech ecosystem in general. So loved this interview, really enjoyed speaking with Pete. I look forward to continuing to check in with him because I really think he has um, about as clear of a uh, perception of ag tech of anybody that 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 uh, we've talked to since probably we had Sarah Nolet on uh, when we kicked off the series. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking now. Sorry about all this. And we are going to turn it over to Pete Nelson. Pete is the president and executive director of Ag Launch. Uh, and Ag Launch, he's going to tell you all about it, but it accelerates new innovations in food and agriculture with a very, very clear focus on technologies that will be sold to the farmer. So here's my interview with Pete Nelson of Ag Launch. have on the show Pete Nelson, President and Executive Director of Ag Launch. Pete, thank you for being on the Future of Agriculture podcast. 
Uh, really excited to be here. Really appreciate what you're trying to do and giving us an opportunity to talk about Ag Launch. Yeah, and as you know, I'm in the middle of this series called Accelerating Ag Tech, where we're featuring not only exciting startups, but also the accelerator programs that have kind of helped them uh, become successful. And I, I came across Ag Launch because actually in your portfolio of companies are several companies that we have either profiled as part of this series or have even profiled before, like AgriSync and SwineTech. Um, could you just maybe start by giving everybody a high-level overview of what Ag Launch is? Absolutely. So we are a nonprofit organization based in Memphis, Tennessee. We work throughout Tennessee, but also the Mississippi Delta region, which is a five-state uh, region that comprised of uh, some counties in Arkansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, Missouri, as well as Tennessee, and then now sort of expanded in different ways around the country, supporting this whole idea of how do we take early stage ideas in agriculture specifically that benefit the farmer, um, and how do we help commercialize those in a way that farmers um, have access to the technology, but are also part of the development phase and the innovation phase of growing companies. And I know we'll talk about it today, but the most important part of that, our model, is that our farmers are organized as a business unit, our partners with us, and everything we do starts with, are we solving a real on-farm problem? How do we do that in a way that's cost-effective and build profitability and sustainability on the farm? And that's kind of what makes uh, the magic happen for, for how AgLaunch has been successful. Uh, we also partner with an investment fund that I think we'll talk about a little bit as, as the conversation unfolds. Yeah, I'd like to dive more into that, or, or maybe before we do too far, uh, what role does AgLaunch play? Do you consider yourself an accelerator or are you a fund or kind of how would you define the role you, you play in helping to facilitate these, these early stage startups? I think the word you just said, Tim, facilitate is is key. Uh, what we recognize very early in this is that you know more sort of mature innovation areas. So tech would be the example everybody uses: Silicon Valley, um, medical device, healthcare. Uh, they all have very sophisticated and organized uh, ecosystems of investors and incubators and university support and accelerator type programs. And in agriculture, um, we've really tried the last few years to just take those models and apply them in agriculture, which doesn't work. And so what AgLaunch has done is try to say, what are the best pieces we can bring forward? And then how do we organize those in a way that makes sense for the agriculture industry and farmers as the ultimate uh, benefactors and customers? And so under the Ag Launch um, sort of umbrella, if you will, we run best in class accelerator programs. So these are boot camps or um, longer, you know, 90 day accelerators um, that would be synonymous with what you would see at a, uh, you know, a Y Combinator or a Techstars or some of the tech based uh, accelerator programs. But then late next to that, we partner with a group called Innova Memphis that is a $31 million fund backed by the farm credit uh, bank system. So there's eight farm credit banks who've put in money into this fund specifically to invest in early stage agricultural farm-centric deals. And um, that's backed by a license from the uh, USDA. And so that fund sits right next to these world-class accelerator programs and incubating programs. And then the fund sits there. And then we have um, a relationship with Farm Journal Media where we're able to actually talk about the companies, get publicity, you know, put those out to growers um, through all of their publications. And they've got magazines and 
in websites and all the major verticals. So we've layered those pieces together. And then underneath all that sits this farmer network structure that we've built, which is allows the growers to actually participate in field trials, screening the new deals, uh, helping make investment decisions, and, and really ensuring the relevancy of, of each of the projects we work on. Um, so yes, an accelerator, but we also really are sort of bread and butter. How do we uh, collaboratively build a network to support ag innovation um, in a way that we are starting to really see some turn. And in your mind, Pete, how does this ecosystem for ag innovation need to look different from other industries, tech and, and healthcare? I know you, you mentioned um, it doesn't really fit just apples to apples, but also there are some things we can pull from that and other things are just totally not the same. Could you just kind of provide a little more detail on how ag is different? Yeah, I mean, the, the, there's a couple of very specific areas. One is the physical space. I mean, if you're working on a tech deal, you can be in a co-work space in downtown San Francisco uh, writing code and go out and interact with your customers right out on the, on the street. Uh, with this, the incubation is actually done you know, on farms all across rural America. So you've got logistics issues associated with that, cultural issues, but the innovation does not happen inside four walls in a lab, but actually happens in the field uh, as we get feedback from customers. That's kind of one piece. The other piece, and, and your audience will know this well, but you know, depending on who you talk to, there's 60,000 to 100,000 farmers across this country that produce 90 plus percent of the food. It's a fairly small, close-knit group, whether you're an almond grower you know, out in California or a citrus grower, a big row crop uh, grower in Iowa. And a lot of folks talk to each other. And so this whole idea of sort of there's millions of customers out there is just really not the case. So it's a much more peer-to-peer interaction, one-on-one um, -on -one building out your customer base, um, which just really is a little different from sort of how scale is thought about. So that's another sort of big, uh, big difference. Um, probably the third one is this need to have capital that's aligned with the interest of, of the end customer. And so that's where farm credit really comes in well um, for an investment side is, you know, obviously the fund needs to make money, but is is not necessarily looking for big unicorns, but is is willing to um, invest in things that solve real farm problems, um, but, but maybe, you know, a lesser valued ultimate company. Um, and there's probably some other differences, but there there's gives you a few to kind of get started with. Um, culture is a big one. Um, of taking a, an industry that is typically pretty uh, high risk in terms of how we gamble with our farming practices um, in the environment and the commodity markets, but very risk averse when we think about how we build local rural businesses and uh, intergenerational businesses as we pass down, you know, a granary or a cotton gin or some other uh, um, business that's been built as a family. Um, failure is not viewed uh, very favorably. And so the startup culture, you know, we have to kind of uh, make us realize, you know, we're going to, a founder may have a failure. Let's keep trying and trying to make sure we, we operate well across that. Hmm. One thing that strikes me about UP and, and Ag Launch is that you're so farmer focused. And in fact, every time that you and I have interacted either via email or on the phone or even recording today, it's it, you have been coming off of a meeting directly with farmers, which I think is is fantastic. Um, in all of those conversations, what are you hearing from farmers as far as their perception of the current state of ag tech? I mean, there's a couple observations. One is there's just too much going on. 
Um, there's there's a lot of clutter, and if you look at sort of the M and A activities around, um, you know, plant sciences and, and seeds and agri products that have been going on, we kind of know that, you know, out of the 500 drone companies and 500 software companies that are out there, you know, at some point in the imminent future, there's going to be a fraction of those. And so, how do you like sort through all that? That's kind of one big issue. The other is the lack of calibration between what's actually needed on the farm and some of these solutions that are coming forward. So sort of in, in the most general sense, you know, we have big sensors that go in the field that record tons of stuff, but are costly, hard to manage, how to, hard to move around, hard to work around, that then move a lot of data that we really don't, from a rural telecom perspective, have the ability to move around inexpensively to then give us recommendations that you really don't have the equipment to respond to. And it'd be great if we can get there at some point where we're responding with variable rate and other you know, equipment on a sort of a micro level, but you know, there, we've got room to go there. And so things overbuilt in the wrong areas and underbuilt in other areas. And what farmers, you know, we are convinced that growers you know, are not gonna be replaced by sort of AI anytime soon. So the, this incredibly complicated job of managing weather markets, field conditions, soil types, that's going to be done in the grower's head. How do we give them better tools to understand that, um, not try to uh, make their, their, their whole process autonomous? So th- those are some of the kind of things uh, we talk a lot to grower groups about, you know, the obvious things that need to be solved. Um, in row crops, things like spray drift with all the dicamba issues, that would be a big one. Um, herbicide-resistant weeds is obviously a huge one across the country. Um, these are just uh, you know practical, real problems looming right in front of us that um, we need to come up with really good solutions around. Yeah, and that's that's exactly why I wanted to make sure we got you on the show to talk because you know I you take two companies that I know you're very familiar with and that that listener longtime listeners of the show will be familiar with and AgriSync and SwineTech and those are just two companies that are just solving a really practical not sexy um, just real pain point for for producers and uh, I think that that's something that, like you say, is lacking in addition to helping producers sort through what is a real tool that's actually going to enhance their performance as a manager on the farm versus just something that's going to be, you know, the hot topic today and gone tomorrow. Um, I I think a lot of this gets back to the ecosystem comment you made earlier, like we don't really have a sophisticated ecosystem for ag tech companies. Um, And and it seems like one of the big things that's missing is just this this farmer component, starting with a real pain point before we get too excited about, um, you know, satellites and and imagery and sensors and and all the fun stuff. Um, what, What do you think could or should be done to help kind of grow this ecosystem closer to where it needs to be? Um, yeah, and, and I appreciate even starting this question by sort of continuing to circle back to the ecosystem question, because, you know, if you are in Silicon Valley or you are in Boston and you have a clever idea, there's a good chance that you can rest assured you'll get, find somebody that can give you good advice, that there's some capital around, there's you know, facilities, there's public will, and with ag, it really is just very segmented and very sporadic and not even a lot of a, a surety that you're getting the right advice at the right point and all that. And so, you know, there's a few things we think are crucial 
to building the right sort of ecosystem. One, um, and I'll circle back to it again, this network of farmers. And so whether that's a formal or informal network, but growers not being engaged sort of at the end of a process of, oh, you should go talk to five farmers and see what they think about what you've been building, but having a network of growers that are underpinning the activity. So that means having agreements with them, having them be partners from an equity perspective or distribution rights or other real tangible activity, um, having them as advisors in the company and really being willing to view them the way that maybe a tech company would view sort of a mentor pool. The growers should be your first pool of mentors. And there's, a, there's multiple companies that we've been working with that are getting really good at that. Um, you know, one good example is, is Grow Guru. Um, that's making getting some good traction in the vegetable industry on the West Coast, but is moving into row crops. And, and they actually have a very sophisticated um, approach with growers that they pull them into an advisory function, um, give them rights to equity, and really try to treat them as fundamental partners in the build out. And, um, and I think we're going to see more and more startups do that and facilitated by groups like Aglaunch. So the, the farmers is a, is, a, is a really important piece. The aligned capital, and we're just, you know, everything we're saying sounds like we got it all figured out. We're all figuring out as we go. But having capital that can grow, like if you think about social impact investment and slow capital, um, we need farm capital. So the farm credit banks have been great about being proactive with the rural business investment company process to put capital with these ideas in a way that lets them um, grow at a pace that, that that fits within the timing. Um, and so, you know, making sure we have aligned capital with aligned expectations is key. And, and really making sure, you know, at the end of the day, Farm Credit would love to loan a grower money to buy a swarm of autonomous tractors. Um, and they don't really care whether it's a swarm of autonomous tractors or a big tractor, as long as it's making the grower more solvent and they've got a good customer. Um, having them at the table is very different than having a corporate entity at the table that really is looking, how does this just fit into my product line? And so there's that kind of piece of like, how do you bring the right partners together um, is key. And then I think probably the last one is, you know, if you're new to agriculture, it's really easy to come in and kind of go, this culture is different than what I'm used to. And I don't understand why we need the land grant universities, or I don't understand why we need these other various institutions. And so one of the key premises for us is we have Farm Bureau at the table. We have a land-grant university system at the table. We have all the traditional players that on the public and the policy side help prop up the current industry as we know it that are helping us institutionalize how do we make these changes around some of the new innovation and technology. And that is ultra important to make this whole thing come along and, and to make sure the expectations are correct. And um, and that leads lastly to whatever ecosystem we build has to be really thoughtful about timing and building real plans that get the right data over the course of years in order to get widespread you know, grower adoption. Could you just expand a little bit on the example of Grow Guru? You just mentioned a little bit that, you know, they're, they're in that uh, that sort of moisture uh, sensor space, which which does have other players. What, what's AgLaunch's relationship with GrowGuru in that case? And kind of what are you working with them on? As, ma- as many details, I guess, as you can share about that specific example. Yeah, and, and we've got, you know, we've looked for always thoughtful entrepreneurs. And as we work with entrepreneurs, and this is, 
I think good business for the way we think about it, but also just more fun. But we tend to gravitate towards people we get along with really well that are teachable and have things to, to teach us and that we sort of adapt that way. So we've had great success up till now working with groups like, um, if you haven't talked to Hiro Trot over at um, Kalimo, um, they've got almost 10% of the irrigated pivot uh, irrigated um, uh, acres in Argentina and are moving that here where they've got a very elegant solution for irrigation. We met the Grow Guru guys um, and uh, Patrick Henry, their CEO, really impressed us as is is willing to learn, willing to understand agriculture and and fruit. Their CEO is just a thoughtful, um, very attentive person, willing to adapt. And so, both of those companies just I think really being thoughtful in the solutions they're bringing forward. Uh, with Grow Guru, you know, they just won the Radical um, Challenge Autonomy Prize and are getting good traction with the Western growers. Um, and what uh, I'll give you two examples. What impressed me about Kalimo is before they even started building their uh, irrigation recommendation technology, they drove like 25,000 miles around rural Argentina meeting with farmers and making sure that there was a real solution out of that. And so, you know, when I heard that, I was like, man, we got to work with these folks. Hmm. Um, with Grow Guru, which I didn't fully appreciate until over the last week or so, um, that Grow Guru um, thoughtfully built this plan, this advisory board plan to have growers at the table advising the company and, and willing to, to um, have that time compensated with actual, you know, equity in the company, which is exactly the kind of thing that we, we like. Um, and um, for Grow Guru, for both companies, they're doing trials in Tennessee in the surrounding region this year um, with real farmers in row crops um, across different types of production environments, different types of pivot and furrow irrigation. And um, both companies have been sort of the benefit of being able to work in row crops uh, through that through the farmer network. And it, are those the the program that they are their involvement? I guess with Ag Launch is that just done on a case by case basis? You see an entrepreneur, you you like them, you like what they're doing, you you kind of like how they're going about their business, and then you develop a plan to kind of work together from there. Uh, and is that kind of different on a case by case basis? Yeah, I mean, all of this, and, and you know, that's one of the myths of this kind of work is that everything's just this turnkey process. So yeah, everything we do, you know, each one ends up having this sort of a life of its own a little bit. But we basically, we have a uh, process we call Ag Launch 365. So it's a three-phase process. The first phase is what you would get in a, a sort of a normal accelerator. So customer discovery, business model, um, are you on the right track? The second phase really dives into how do you build a thoughtful field trial plan? You know, what, what soil types, what crops, why, how does that fit within the economic model for the, uh, the, that farm and that crop? And then how do you think about that over a multi-year period and what data collection partners and third-party validators you need to have together and a real investment strategy goes along with that. And the third phase of Ag Launch 365 is, is let's take it to the field. This is the field level work. And what we do is we allow companies to enter um, at different phases, A, if we like the company. So this is not something that we're just kind of open providing services for whoever wants to be in, but we're selecting companies very intentionally that our farmers are interested in and, and go with that whole sort of model that we've talked about. And so in the case of Grow Guru, they had been through some programs, um, had sort of built a pretty good model and veggies 
and we brought them directly into the farmer network uh, piece, phase three, and built a trial plan and um, were able to do this work on Norwood Farms in Henry County, Tennessee. Um, and then with Colimo, they actually went through some of the accelerator programming and field trial planning, and then were able to take that. Um, we, in that case, we did a four-farm trial across multiple irrigation types and soil types um, and, and a couple different crops. And, and, so to, and, and to further answer your question, yes, um, what we have is the growers in a pool. So they all are in this common ag launch farmer network. They sign participation agreements, but we do individual transactions between them and each startup company. And in that transaction, we basically in Tennessee have a cost share program with our state department of agriculture. So the cost are the grower puts in their time, energy, data, and land, and the startup puts in, you know, their widgets, their technology, the technical assistance and all that. And we're able to reimburse some of those costs um, through the state program. And then the farmer's time and energy is compensated with equity directly into the startup company. Hmm. If somebody's listening to the show and, and they're thinking that they're, they're wondering, I guess, if they might be right for Ag Launch, uh, how would they know? What, what types of companies are the right fit to work with Ag Launch? I mean, again, you know, and we're expanding into livestock and other things, but in the row crops, it's pretty simple. We're think, looking at things to automate, things to make it easier to transition to specialty crops, any technology or innovative idea um, to manage the farm better, manage water, nitrogen address some of those problems, spray drift, um, how do we deal with sort of bringing microbial um, sort of solutions um, in from a application perspective and logistics issues. So any real solutions that fit in the row crop system, uh, regardless of stage, we probably have a place for you. So if you're needing testing, we can come into the farmer network if you need to uh, receive investment capital. And then we're starting to build out more and more like Swine Tech's a good example, working with Tosh Farms. Um, we have other examples like Herd Dog that we're working with on the dairy side. Um, so we're starting to build um, more activity in poultry and uh, and some of the other livestock as well. Fantastic. Well, Pete, I, I know when we talked uh, a week or two ago, we, we talked about that book, Crossing the Chasm, I think by, uh, I want to say Jeffrey Moore, I, I want to say. Uh, but uh, I, I still haven't read it, but my understanding is that there's this kind of gap between when a, a startup is starting to gain momentum before they really can kind of get to a sustainable business and that that gap or chasm um, is, is sort of like widespread customer adoption. Can, can you talk about that as it relates to ag tech startups? Yeah. And I think the simple way to think about it is, you know, if you've got a new video game, uh, you're going to get early stage, you know, people that are really, really interested in the latest video game or DVD player or any kind of, you know, digital technology or electronic technology, you're going to get them really, really, in, you know, they're interested, they're early adopters, and they'll pay more uh, to get the first new thing. They'll wait in line at Best Buy or whatever. And then you kind of hit this chasm where as you're building up sales, um, starting to get some revenue, you now have to transition into, um, you know, producing large amounts of product, higher level quality control, um, distribution, you know, huge working capital implementation um, issues. And so you cross this this big chasm or have to cross this big chasm from a perspective of execution and capital. 
And um, so that's sort of this classic startup discussion and, and, and company growth discussion. In agriculture, it's a little deceiving, and your listeners that are ag people will understand this intuitively, but um, we have the same thing that the electronics gadget folks have is you know, we got early adopter farmers, you know, five to seven percent that they'll really try anything. And I, I've got my list that, you know, for whatever reason, over 20 years, they still answer my phone calls, but <laughs> where we have a new idea or a new whatever, it's like, hey, man, will you grow this or will you try this on the back of your tractor? Inevitably, they want to get engaged. And typically get engaged whether there's much compensation or not, just because they're interested in new things. And so what a lot of the groups have done that are ag startups that really don't kind of understand what they're doing is they sort of gravitate towards those early adopters and they, you know, put that on their slides and they've got you know, 20 farmers doing all this work or whatever. And they don't understand that unlike in electronics industry where the chasm is probably crossable in agriculture, that next 93%, the non-early adopters, farmers, are more recalcitrant, reticent to get involved, and really are going to have to see huge amounts of data and really sort of fall back into the show-me position. So instead of it being like an electronics, a crossing the chasm situation, this is almost like scaling the wall. I mean, you literally run into a brick wall as you move out of the early adopter farmers into the mainstream growers. And it, for us, that reiterates the need to have from day one, you bet, you know, if you've got a irrigation solution, you need to be working with the top universities that do irrigation in the country, institutionalizing what you're doing, having professors um, write about it, researchers incorporate what you're doing into their work. You better have really good third-party validated agronomy data and be building that package as you go because those are the tools that are going to help you get over uh, what I guess we'll call instead of crossing the chasm, uh, scaling the wall uh, from early adopters to mainstream. Yeah, no, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, Before I let you go here, Pete, just I I want to hear just a little bit more about your background. How'd you get into this in the first place? Yeah, I grew up in rural North Carolina. My dad is a, um, ran a Christian medical clinic. um, And for a while was, I believe the only pediatrician in this rural County. And my mom had come traditionally couple of generations before from a uh, West Tennessee farm family. So for whatever reason, we always you know, lived out in the country, chopped wood, had chickens and animals, and um, just really enjoyed sort of the fringes of a farm or rural life and really got intrigued um, also at an early age because a couple of my uncles had started uh, com- startup companies and had done stuff entrepreneurial. So kind of had these two, the rural bug and the entrepreneurial bug. Um, and, um, you know, through God's grace, I'm a strong Christian. And so those were the two seeds that in my twenties, um, was able to be involved with a small farm and look at things like organic agriculture and God really just kind of wove all that together to go, man, there's really some incredible opportunities to do kingdom work through figuring out how do we grow food? How do we create new opportunities? How do we create both rural and urban jobs? And just over the years, that sort of vision has just continued to move forward. And so um, and that's kind of the long way how we got here. Um, the, the direct sort of career perspective was we got really interested in early and alternative crops and planted our first, um, you know, we've done everything from sugar beets down in the Delta to looking at sweet sorghum or winter oil seeds. And um, that got me interested in other kinds of technology and we moved into ag tech over the last five or six years um, 
is sort of part of this overall portfolio of things that we do. Great. And Pete, uh, if somebody is interested in Ag Launch or just wants to follow up with anything you said, is there a good way I can direct them to get in touch with you? Yeah, we do have Twitter and all that. Um, but yeah, Ag Launch Pete is the, the Twitter handle. But um, aglaunch.com is our website. And you can send me a direct email also just to my first uh, initial P. Uh, Nelson, N-E-L-S-O-N at aglaunch.com. Fantastic. Pete, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. really appreciate this. Appreciate the opportunity, Tim. Thanks. Thank you so much to Pete Nelson for being on the show. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I really uh, felt that was a, just a very worthwhile addition to this Accelerating Ag Tech series and uh, also a great connection point to several of the companies that you have already heard from uh, in this series and before if you've been a longtime listener. Uh, hey, thanks so much for those of you who have been leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Got one here from The, La the Real Last Cowboy, which <laughs> his title. I love it. I thoroughly enjoy the diversity of the podcast. Tim doesn't just focus on one type of agriculture. He covers a broad spectrum of all things related to ag. Over the last year and a half, I have personally found Tim to be very accessible. If you had a question about a podcast, don't be afraid to shoot him a message. If he can't tell you the answer, he will connect you with someone that can. Hey, thanks so much, The Real Last Cowboy. And that's absolutely true. In fact, what he's saying there very nicely, but the, the the real truth is I probably won't have the answer for you, but uh, sort of the niche I like to fill is, is connecting you to, to the people who are the experts. Hence, that's what we do mostly on the show here is profile those doing exciting work in agriculture. So anyway, thank you for the last Real Cowboy for leaving that rating and review. And all of you who have left one, if you haven't yet, though, I would uh, really appreciate if you head over to iTunes and uh, spread the word about these innovative stories going on in the industry of agriculture. We'll be back next week with more Accelerating Ag Tech. Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit futureofag.com. That's futureofagag.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.